mysteries, true crime, by historians and PhDs for your mature audience, entertainment and educational. You're listening to Grim. The name Rasputin stirs off images of an evil dark wizard, a gothic monk in black with powers of necromancy and the devil, or more often a motherfucker stab shot, poisoned and drowned who could not be killed. The wandering holy man captivated the last czars of Russia, led a sex cult of sorts. Women adored him. Most hated him. Journalists, assassins, and the secret police followed him everywhere he went. This is the comprehensive, like a motherfucker, multi-part story of the illiterate stinky peasant who defied every odd to become one of the most powerful, feared, revered ultra-sexy and hated figures in late imperial Russia of the socio-political backdrop for World War I, the Russian Revolution, and the myths and truths and complexities of the period and of the man, Grigory Rasputin. You're listening to Grim Explicit Histories. Grim topics, extreme dark histories, folklore, and the paranormal for mature audiences. We keep it real, we keep it educational, thought-provoking, like a motherfucker. I'm Joe Woji, and this is Grim. You're listening to Grim. <laughs> Dark histories, true crime for mature audiences. Rasputin, all up in this motherfucker today. Joe Woji, Brittany Smith, Ted Sisko, Casey Coxon, and Morgan Haller. <laughs> So and you're listening to Grim. So I was looking at Rasputin pictures. <laughs> Please keep that question. <laughs> Have you guys seen pictures of Rasputin? He looks more like a minister of Satan. Than he is a scary motherfucker. Than <laughs> Jeez. Our very own sage Cisco, minister of Satan. Minister of <laughs> Satan, yeah! Yeah! <laughs> And that's that's about all the time we have for today, boys and girls. <laughs> Join us next yes. time, Grim. <laughs> if you like what you listen to here. Have you well, seen this motherfucker's pictures with his eyes? Yeah, piercing. Yeah. This motherfucker would look at people for like 30 seconds straight. No blinking. No. Just <laughs> freak them piercing. out. Piercing. Don't fuck with me, basically. <laughs> but how about this blessed misfit motherfucker? You guys hear about that guy? <laughs> the midget that grabbed yeah. his dick and tried to pull his dick off because he that punched was the source <laughs> of his powers. They tried to castrate him. Iliador. Yeah. yeah, he had like an accent. Thing. He was like, I gotta castrate you. I wasn't read about I this. Was at, no, he, I, heard, I, I read about him because he was like originally planting bombs. Right. right. He, was at, he was a follower of Rasputin. Yeah. He liked him originally. Yeah, he Rasputin followed him. tried to get him women. But he had yeah. like girls show up at his bedside. But he, he was like, no, dude, we're monks. We don't do this. <laughs> but he was totally going against and everybody women, else. We're virgins. I'm a virgin. <laughs> and then Rasputin would make fun of him for being a virgin. He's like, I gotta cut your dick off. <laughs> <laughs> With an axe. <laughs> Zero to right. <laughs> There's no in between. No. <laughs> photographs do support this. If you look at the photographs of him, he does have this, even in the photographs, a stare about him. Yeah. And he was supposed to be a very tall person, around six feet tall. There are some that say he was like 6'3". Others say he was right below six foot. But still, he's around six feet tall, which is very tall for the time period. Some of the other heights that I saw for other Russian leaders at the time, like Nicholas II, Lenin, seem to be around the five foot five area. So no he matter towered. what, he's a towering yeah. guy. He's got this wiry build, green or blue-eyed, piercing stares. He's bearded. 
it. He does have this unique look to him that comes across even in photographs. So I can only imagine like in person when he's supposed to have this charismatic presence about him. I mean, he probably was a very unique individual, especially when you're meeting him in person, even without the the eye thing that he does. We're looking at... (laughs) pictures from a hundred years ago in black and white you got to stand really still for these pictures mm-hmm. and there's only a limited number of them taken it shines through he's probably good at getting his pictures yeah because he never blinked yeah like a minister of satan like ted cisco <laughs> No. <laughs> Minister of Satan. Ted, did you ever take your orders? I'm well, not great, because that's order exactly yet. like rescue. Yeah, exactly. And despite being known as the mad monk, he actually never took holy orders with the no. Eastern Orthodox Church. So he was not officially another, affiliated with the church. I think we have another Russia. name for Ted now Philly Rasputin. Philly Rasputin? We got Philly but He doesn't Jesus. have a beard. We no, need true. Philly Rasputin. There's no beard. No. I need a beard. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you could tell the wife that one. And a, <laughs> and a big fucking cross. Oh, I could do that one. Yeah. But it has to be upside down, though. Yeah. I'm a minister of Satan. It can't be. Not on brand for you any other way. <laughs> Brittany says no, Joe. <laughs> she is the calming All influence. All those clips are going to be clipped because of the Maybe Brittany is. Brittany's, Brittany's the Rasputin. She gives us stares. She's calming effect. There's she a gives lot us, of this. No, she gives us stares. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever we do something wrong or bad, she just gives you the look like, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, no. Mother Superior. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> No. <laughs> she spent enough time in cops. Church of the Whips. <laughs> the Church the of the Whips. No. <laughs> Brittany with a whip. Casey <laughs> whip. BDSM Church of the Whip. Jesus, no. <laughs> no, we're not doing any of that. Minister Satan says yes. <laughs> One of the things that was really prominent to this period of time was spiritualism, cult. One of the episodes that we did on Abraham Lincoln that just passed, we talked about the Red Room of the White House, how Mary Todd Lincoln had like eight seances, and the Tsarina, Nicholas II's wife, Alexandra is really into this spiritualism too. It was really common among the aristocracy in Russia, maybe because of boredom, maybe because of something different and new at the time, but there were about a million wandering monks were holy men from the peasantry, the salt of the Russian earth that were wandering around. And it was a thing for the upper classes to connect back to mother Russia with commoners. Any of them that would rise up from the peasantry, like Rasputin from Siberia, they were fascinated by if they look to be the genuine article like Rasputin did. Staretz is what it's called, the self-proclaimed holy man. <laughs> but he, You've been avoiding commenting. You're like, mm, I have a feeling I'm going to butcher that. <laughs> but he was a self-proclaimed holy man and he was one of these individuals traveling around. Not all of them were from Russia. So one of the things that stood out with Rasputin is that he was an actual Russian presenting himself to the upper classes. It was a big plus in his favor that Give he was an authentic Russian. So a little bit of background about him. Because here's the thing about Rasputin is that like other historic figures that we've covered on Grimm, such as St. Olga or Marie Lebeau or Elizabeth Bathory, some of these historic figures, they were real people who lived and have a historic record. And then they also are these figures who simultaneously, because of legends and myths around them, have taken on a larger mythology that is less based in facts or <laughs> records, but has seeped into all aspects of pop culture. And you recognize them by this mythology. And Rasputin is absolutely one of these figures in which we know he was was a real person who lived and we have some records about him but obviously other aspects about his life have taken on this greater mythology surrounding him and we're gonna we're gonna
going to get into all that just like we have on previous episodes, kind of show you what we have facts to support and what may be more like legend surrounding him. And so his younger years before he goes to St. Petersburg, before he becomes the mad monk that everybody knows about, which is also a TV tropes too. But <laughs> but before he takes on all that and becomes associated with the, the czar and czarina, one of the historians I was reading described his younger years as kind of like a black hole. Like we just don't have a whole lot of records about it. We just don't really know what happened, what didn't happen. A few things that we do know is that he was born, I apologize if I mispronounce this, but it's Grigory Yefimovich Rasputin or Grigory Rasputin, born January 22nd. In the old calendar, it would have been January 10th, 1869. His father would have been Yefim, who was a peasant farmer and a church elder in Siberia. Proskovia. Right? (laughs) And so, yeah, I'm not going to pronounce that or I butcher it too, but his... uh, Good teeth like horse. (laughs) (laughs) But his father was born in 1840. There's a lot of shit about horses that I read about him. He was a horse whisperer, and they say he had this calming effect and on animals, on horses, on sheep. But horses in particular was an important thing to have a calming effect on, and they thought that he had that effect on people too. He was good with reading people and with psychology. Mm -hmm. For a peasant, he was brilliant. And so his father was born in that region in 1842, and he married a fellow local woman, Anna, in 1863. They had multiple children. The records seem to disagree on exactly how many children they had, but Rasputin was the only one who survived into adulthood. The rest of them seemed to die in infancy or as a young child. There may have been one other child who survived to adulthood, but the records seem to disagree whether or not she was a biological child or like a close family friend or something they adopted. So there's disagreement about that. His father also sometimes, at least according to some of the articles, was possibly a government courier who was taking goods between some of the towns up in that region. It's a regular peasant childhood. There's not a lot of schooling. He's illiterate at this stage of his life. You have some records showing he may have had a little bit of an an unruly youth, but there is debate about that because later on in his life, people who are slandering against him say that he did all these awful things in his childhood and he was like a devil. The records that we have at least don't really support that. The records that we do have seem to just say that he was drinking, which considering- Big surprise. He's yeah, Russian. Russian so. Yeah, I mean, and also later on in his life, he's a functioning alcoholic. So I mean, that I don't think that one's a shocker. He may have been involved in a couple like small thefts. He might have shown some disrespect for some different authority figures, but at least the records that are available to us today don't suggest that he was doing anything like major or evil or, or anything like that. Really um, teen, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, it, I'm just seeing a teenage boy kind of yeah. doing stupid stuff. They had sent him off as an ultimatum, like he got caught stealing a horse. And it's disputed. I believe, Brittany, you said like three different versions of yeah. why he took this 350-mile pilgrimage to Katzkan. One of the ultimatums that he may have been given was take this holy pilgrimage. And he walks 350 miles to this monastery where he may have learned to read and write and maybe introduced to the Kalisti cult. But the thing was that if you stole a horse, I mean, that's punishable by death. So to go on a religious pilgrimage, get your head straight. This is a mercy, really. Straighten the kid out. He's in his late teens at this age. He's like, I think, 17 or 18. It's 1897 that he leaves for this pilgrimage. And like Joe said, we're not exactly sure what causes it. There seems to be some conflicting accounts. One of them is that he was escaping punishment for a horse 
horse theft, which obviously was a pretty big deal at the time period. Another version says that he had seen a vision of the Virgin Mary or of St. Simeon, but a holy vision caused it. Another account was saying that he was inspired by a theological student that he had met. So again, you have some different versions, but despite everything, I mean, he does leave. He goes on this pilgrimage. But like I said, he doesn't take the holy orders. So he does not actually officially become a monk. He does leave the monastery that he had traveled to, and he does go back home where he joins back up with his father's household. He's living in his father's house. He marries a woman at, he's 19, I believe, when he he marries. her on the religious pilgrimage. And she's about three years older than him. They have a bunch of kids together. A lot of them die. There, again, seems to be some debate on exactly how many children they do have, but a lot of them seem to die, again, in infancy and childhood, young childhood. But they do have three children who survive to adulthood. Dimitri, Maria, and Varvara. He's working on his family's farm at this point. He's regular Siberian peasant. I mean, he's working. There are some accounts that say he's doing some preaching. Yeah, some say not. In secret. There's some debate with that, but he might have been doing something like that. I guess it wouldn't be really surprising given what we know happens later on. Whatever happens, we do know after 10 years, he does leave. <laughs> Joe's awful good, <laughs> bad day. What is it? What's the phrase? Joe's awful total no good bad day. There you go. <laughs> Where were we? So he leaves home after like 10 years of being up there, having several children, getting married, and he goes again kind of on these wanderings, and it's at this point that he is going to arrive, 1903 or 1904, depends on what point of winter he gets there. Accounts are slightly different, but 1903, 1904, he arrives in St. Petersburg. With this, a letter of introduction from the monastery that he was sent to prior to that where he learned to read and write a little bit. It was still atrocious spelling later. His letters are awful. <laughs> He's a Russian peasant. Yeah. True. So this is, I mean, 1903 is when you could kind of say he arrives in St. Petersburg. This is going to be the start of his career that yeah. I think most people are familiar with. This is the start of Rasputin, so to speak, that I think most people are familiar with. And he becomes the most interesting and hated man in Russia. <laughs> Both pro and anti-monarchists will write shit about him to try to either drive him away from the throne on behalf of bettering the crown or to just expose him that this is why the crown is bad. Mm-hmm. He was. He was a, a polarizing figure, I think, even at the time because he had his detractors and he had his supporters. And we'll go into some of the reasons why mm-hmm. that is going to be the case. But he does, at this point, he has an introduction. So he does know already some people. He's being introduced to others. He's participating in the salons at the time that are happening over in St. Petersburg in which he's meeting some of these other elites. He's described as charismatic. We already described how he had this unique look to him. He's this Russian peasant, so he's fitting right into this whole kind of cultural atmosphere of kind of mysticism and the occult. He really enters at a perfect time for him to do that in 1903, and he's meeting all these people, and, and obviously they find him entertaining, yeah. at least. They <laughs> were all really bored. <laughs> Trying to get the midget in somehow. Continue. Uh, do I think of the more influential, Joe, I think I think you know their name, Black Princess, Belitsa and Anastasia of Montenegro. <laughs> right, and you said they had married cousins of the Tsar? They're spiritualists, and so is the Tsarina, and that's their commonality there. And they support him, and you, Morgan, told me that they were Crow Sisters, as well yeah. as the Black Princesses. The Crow Sisters, because their noses were very big. That's awful. <laughs> and they're that dark so and black, and they're into the occult. That's how you go down in history, yeah. right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
makes quite a few supporters amongst the elites of Russian society, which is how in 1905, this is the big one, he gets introduced to the royal family. So it's in 1905 that he is introduced at the palace to Tsar Nicholas II, Tsarina Alexandra. Nicholas even writes in his diary that he meets this Russian peasant, Rasputin. It was supposed to be a quick five-minute, like, hi, hey. The crow system. Nice to meet you. Hook him up with this meeting. (laughs) It is. It's only supposed to be like a short meet and greet. He just mesmerizes them and they stay talking for hours. They understood, too. They held back on introducing him to the Tsar and the Tsarina right away while Monsieur Philippe, this (laughs) French mystic, had been captivating the royal court and the Tsar and the Tsarina with his mysticism. Apparently, he was this former French butcher who was traveling around Russia. He was a mystic. He was a spiritualist. I said he could turn himself invisible with fucking hats and (laughs) had all these other crazy powers of seeing the future and things like that. But they waited for him to leave. And the Russian people really gave them sort of a hard time. They got a lot of bad PR because he was a foreigner and they thought that the Tsar and the Tsarina clearly are around this guy way too much foreign influence. So they drove him away because he was a foreigner. And Monsieur Philippe said before he left, I foresee the future. You will find a new friend will appear to you. And they were super open to Rasputin being that new friend once they see him because he's actually a Russian and they have this respect. There's this whole revelry amongst the aristocracy at the time for Russian peasants. There's almost a million of these wandering holy men that rise up from the Russian peasantry that are traveling around Europe like Rasputin. Rasputin walked 3,000 miles back and forth all the way to the center of the Orthodox world in Greece where like big surprise, you know, he gets to Greece and they're, you know. They're definitely out of the closet. In Greece. Yeah, because it's in Greece, right? The monks in the monastery in in Greece, big surprise, are, are openly gay. Rasputin didn't like that at first, but then he winds up being cool. I mean, because you got to figure these are different times. There's anti-Semitism is run rampant. People didn't act then or think the way that we do today. Most people were against homosexuality. There were pogroms. Rasputin, like, to his credit, he might be an off-the-hook crazy fucking monk who whips his dick out at parties in a Yara restaurant talking about, you know, insinuating that he's having sex with the Tsarina, like, later on and doing all these crazy things, but he is anti-violent. He's for peace. He has Jewish friends. He winds up being totally cool with people who are gay when the majority of Russians were not. It was not a stylish thing, but he was like, I'm a man of God. We have to transcend and be cool to one another. Like he did see himself as a holy man, a man of God at first. Like he had those legitimate things going on where he swore off drink and sex and he walked to the middle of the orthodox world you know 3,000 miles Mount Athos Greece is that what you're that's the one and he stands in swamps and lets the bugs eat him and he wears chains to weigh himself down and so he doesn't touch himself and he doesn't change his underwear for what did we decide (laughs) six months he does not bathe the entire time (laughs) and that's one thing that comes up over and over and over again in the the primary sources even in Petersburg that motherfucker doesn't bathe I mean he likes to hang out in bathhouses but there's there's a specific reason why he's yeah. out in the back. He bathes, but it's only one part. And right. He doesn't and right. bathe it. Yeah, I was going to say, there's like cleaning rituals and <laughs> oh, yeah. things. And With the Clisty cult, yeah. and you have a lot of that on that Yeah, well. so the, a lot of like, because people talk about like how mad he was and how much like, how like sexually active he was and like all the debauchery. Like a lot of the inspiration that led to his approach to religion came from this inspiration from the Clisty, which was a underground Christian sect. They 
they split from the Russian Orthodox Church. They had these rituals, and these rituals were these like dance parties almost, where they would get together at, <laughs> dance at this party. Basically, like so they would go <laughs> they to would spin and spin <laughs> and spin. Yes. They, they would exhaust Stop themselves. dropping. Stop yeah. dropping. <laughs> the idea was that they wanted to be exhausted, and this exhaustion was where you'd get this ecstasy, and you'd be able to um, be visited by the Holy Spirit. And so they had this, you know, spiritualism was this big deal, and they really believed that the Holy Spirit would be able to like show Himself or itself to you if you could reach this ecstasy and exhaustion. Mysterious death and mysterious rebirth. Right. There's this like mysterious, like this resurrection that would happen, and like, and you would be born anew. You would be right. like a new Christ, a new Rasputin. Yes. So like, there's a lot of like etymology that comes from the name Clisty, and it would talk about like whips, but it would also talk about the one that purges. It is the Church of the Whip. Right. And there would be through BDSM, you may raise the dead, have mystical <laughs> powers, see into the future, transfer souls from hell to heaven. And so they would have. At first, it seemed like what I read a little bit normal. Where it's, sounds they, like, like a religion they I would, could get into. Right. A little bit. They, <laughs> so they would do the like BDSM fasting, cult, okay. except for the whole beating deal, the sex deal. Yeah, yeah. but the beating deal, maybe not so much. Maybe, but yeah. but that's because you got to sin hard and you got to repent exactly. even harder. Right. <laughs> Part of it is that like you sin and sin and sin and sin and sin and get that out of your system and. Then, in order to clean your soul, you got to clean your body in the bathhouse and be whipped. Yeah, they would like what sounded like a normal ritual at first. They would fast. It's like, oh, well, then they would dance, which is just like throwing themselves around a bunch. And like, then they just start chanting and it was just like unintelligible language. And then, yeah, and then it would end with like, there's like these orgies where there's just like this purge where they would just like get all of the sin out. And they would wear white ritual dresses. Yeah, it was very ritualistic, which kind of, um, this started into the 20th century. And what they said was, like, this is secret. You can't tell anybody about this shit because, you know, we'd be fucked if yeah. everybody knew what we were doing here. Right. So outwardly, you must profess Orthodox Eastern religion like a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. You got to yes. be the most zealous church motherfucker in a traditional way to anybody you meet in the world and in our shit's safe. Which is why it made sense with Rasputin because outwardly he's this orthodox man that's just very dedicated to his religion. There's no exact confirmation that he actually became a part of this sect, right? But inspired. He attended a couple of... Yes. uh, I want to say lectures, but (laughs) we're all historians. Rituals, I believe. Right. Um, But it does like, you know... It was participation, not listening and writing notes. Right. We don't have any confirmation, but when you think about it, you're like, I could see it. You could see how that inspiration came, especially with chains. Like he would use chains when he was wandering around to kind of like like worsen his burden. But then also he would use chains later and like as like this like punishment and this like ritualistic. Well, what he he was actually (laughs) investigated in 1909 and again in 1912 by the Siberian leaders of the church. And then later by the Petersburg religious leaders, once he becomes a national figure and he's really polarizing. But as soon as he starts coming back to his hometown, he starts to throw some money around because he's got the ear of the royals in the capital at the Winter Palace. He's got more money than all the rich people in town. And he's this stinky fucking peasant dude with like dirt under his fingernails and it doesn't bathe and it's got food in his beard. And, you know, he's got a great personality, but he's just a regular guy. And he comes back and there's people visiting him from Petersburg. 
bringing him money and the Crow Sisters actually supported him. They were the very first ones to do that. Then the Tsar and the Tsarina do. He's accepting visitors and they're giving him money, buys his wife. We haven't even really gotten into his actual family stuff as much as we're going to, but he buys them a house. And so they're like, what's all this? What's going on here? And isn't this motherfucker a member of the Clisty? It started to get out some of the rumors and they investigated him, but it's secret shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The investigation went on by the Siberian authorities for about a year from like 1909 to 1910. It was inconclusive as well as the 1912 investigation also inconclusive. They didn't say like yes or no. It just went on and on and on and they couldn't prove either way. There's conflicting reports. There's rumors. There's not a bunch of primary sources that support one way or the other. So he he may have. Right. I mean, it's not surprising <laughs> if he did, but we obviously don't know 100% if he did or did not. And he, he did continue to see his children even when he made it to St. Petersburg. And he, like Joe said, supported his wife. He did send money back to her when he was living in St. Petersburg. She and he seemed... made pilgrimages back all the time. And at first, First, the pilgrimages would be the way he did it originally. Like he would walk this whole distance. Like I would walk 500 miles. I'm gonna walk <laughs> fucking 3,000 more. He would do that, and he was fit. Obviously, he got a lot of sun. He was fit. He was a good-looking guy. He was in good shape. You know, for a Russian peasant, you know, he was. He had a great personality. He had all that stuff going for him. But then, after a while, when he became used to luxury. He'd go back on a fucking train. And- <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And his wife was totally cool with everything he was doing. She knew about his uh, sex capades. I, I yeah, guess sex say. Yeah. She <laughs> walks in on him having sex with one of his, we'll call him followers. There's a name for him. The Rasputinki, they yeah. call them. But he's <laughs> literally got like, like just to digress a little bit back to Petersburg, which we will cover more, I think, in the next episode. But he would have, it was mostly women, aristocratic women, but he would have like 100 of them show up at dawn every morning at his house just to get a glimpse of him just to give him gifts of like carpets fish Madeira he loved Madeira vodka flowers every single day he actually called like, them his little ladies bathe them and whip them his wife was cool with it she is is quoted to have said he has enough for everyone <laughs> What she was alluding to. You can kind of figure that one out. But she was cool. You said he had experience with horses as far as a horse whisperer goes. Apparently he shared other commonalities with horses as well. (laughs) (laughs) We'll leave it at that one. (laughs) You have good teeth like horse. Mating in fields. (laughs) He's supposed to have had a calming effect on horses, on animals. He was a horse whisperer. And they believe that that calming effect was something that Tsar and the Tsarina appreciated. He would calm Alexei, the presumptive to the throne, and Tsarina as well. And I think he could read people very well and Mm -hmm. had a good psychological sense of things. He doesn't have a psych degree. He's a fucking peasant. But he's got insight into human behavior, human thought. Well, also, they had so many daughters back to back to back. And they were like, we need a male heir. And then they did, and then he had hemophilia, so he was so, like, fragile. And they were like, we need to protect him at all costs, which is where this relationship with Rasputin became, like, so solidified, where they're like, even with all these rumors of this debauchery and other behavior, they were like, "Mm mm-mm, this guy is important, we need him. And nobody else knew about the hemophilia. They kept that a secret. Mm -hmm. Rasputin knew, but, like, the prime minister, members of the Duma, nobody in the public knew. Alexei would just get off fucked up from a bumpy carriage ride one time through Poland like he was in a carriage and he got really fucked up bad and the wonder drug that had just been invented was aspirin the same laboratory bear that invented you know heroin (laughs) (laughs) also invented aspirin clearly they're on 
opposite ends of the spectrum, but aspirin was, I think, much more widely given as the new miracle drug when it first comes out. And doctors prescribe that a lot. That's just going to make hemophilia much worse because of the blood thinning capacity. Which not that they knew that at the time. So they don't realize at the time that the blood thinning is going to make the hemophilia worse. So they just have this new drug and they're like, of course, we're going to give it to the prince. Oh, he's the heir. Like she said, you had four daughters before Alexi is born. And he's born in 1904. He's still young. He's a kid. So of course, mom is overprotective for a lot of reasons. And she's also, Zarina Alexandra, she's unpopular with most of the Russian court already by this point. She's a German princess. So she is an outsider. She is a granddaughter of Queen Victoria. She had married Nicholas in 1894. And she's unpopular though, because they think that she dominates Nicholas. So that doesn't really win her any brownie points. And then like you said, there, there's a while before there's a male heir. And later on, her popularity falls much worse during World War One. But we'll get to that yeah. later. And she obviously does want to protect Alexi. And so the doctors are like, here, take aspirin. This is totally going to help you. Like, it'll solve it. And of course, like, we know, like, no, like, that's mm-hmm. probably like good. the worst thing to do. Rasputin is summoned to the palace in around 1908 to see Alexi during one of these episodes that he's suffering from. And he basically, it's not even like he's saying anything wild. He's But he's just like, yeah, no, don't take the medicine from the doctors. Don't take that. Like, burn it in the fire. Which it's like one of those things where it's kind of like luck on his half because yeah. it's not like he knows that <laughs> yeah. like the coincidence but like <laughs> turns out just perceived be when he prophesy. took it it was making it worse he just had some kind of insight he yeah did. he had like so much emotional intelligence and he's really able to read things and that's why that's how he's also able to kind of manipulate and and people really really believed in his ability to like prophesize things and but really he had this calming effect and he made people he put people at ease he put the which the would lower the at blood ease, pressure blood pressure and so it was mm-hmm. just like this good timing and coincidence that he was around and then Alexi would be better and, and even yeah. from afar he wrote this arena a letter and he said don't let the doctors bother him mm-hmm. too much and yeah. he was against the aspirins clearly it may have been a little bit of luck yeah he also not only calmed Alexi but he calmed Alexandra so he, he calmed the Zarina down too which was a big help too because if she's calm then she's calming her son down and wife that's is. bad PR for Nicholas because nobody knows about the hemophilia and when they right say, so they don't understand that aspect when they're like get rid of this drunken debaucherous fool <laughs> and he says impossible they think he's just afraid of his wife he's not explaining my son is hemophilia and they were like legitimately in love the two of them were weren't there accusations from i know like that one of the maids accused him later on down the line of like rape and like they were just uncomfortable with all the oh yeah nuns too yeah, yeah i thought it was a nun that they said that he raped yeah like it, it was bad yeah. when you said maids i thought you were going to say they found his dick <laughs> <laughs> Another episode. Uh, yeah, <laughs> That's in part two coming up. Yeah, but the Sarina would just look the other way because she was so mm-hmm. reliant on him and treating her son. Presented with actual documented evidence, like pictures and shit of him doing shit. They were like, it's an imposter. This motherfucker is indispensable to the royal family. And it was, that was helped along by the fact that Rasputin very consciously would present himself to the Tsar and Tsarina as a very humble peasant holy man. So he put on... He's playing to his crowd. He acted like that. So especially in the beginning when like the rumors are first coming into the Tsar and Tsarina that he has a wild side, let's say, outside of the palace, they don't believe that because when they interact with him, he's very much this humble holy man with healing powers and it's just such a difference in actions and appearance and presentation that at first they just dismiss all that. They're like, no, that's not 
not how he is. Like, mm. we've just seen him. That's not how he acts. I've only seen, like, he would read to the kids before bedtime and, like, pray with them. They've only seen that side. Exactly. He's got access to the nursery. They really trusted him as a friend. That's what they always refer to him as. Well, they must have really trusted him because, like, Anastasia and, like, the older girls, around this time, they were hitting puberty with all these accusations from other women. Like, they must have really trusted him. Upon their deaths, like, to jump forward to the end, after the Romanov family was killed, Tsarina Alexandra and all of the girls had lockets around their necks with pictures of Rasputin in it. Alexandra sent to Nicholas II on the front lines Rasputin's comb and said, comb your beard with this motherfucker's comb. It will give you inspiration. So like on the front lines of World War I, dude is combing his beard with Rasputin's comb. The women have lockets of him around their neck. He was really on the inside. They loved him. They really looked to him for spiritual guidance, for calming, for healing. He was a healer. He didn't put his so-called healing powers out there to the general public. I guess he figured this is where it's best used and maybe it'll be disproved. If I try to heal somebody else besides the Tsarina's kid, I get could backfire. <laughs> you know, she could fuck up, but I have insight into this. If I could do it right with them, that's all I really need. But for real, that comb was probably disgusting. We really think oh, he, about it. Yeah, he didn't use it. I was going to say, I don't think he ever used it. <laughs> Fucking food in his beard. He just did. symbolic. He legitimately had food in his beard. People, primary sources said that his breath smelled like what a cow his, his he smelled body, like a goat body smelled like a goat he had <laughs> disgusting food in his beard he didn't bathe for six months at a time changed his underwear he wore the same underwear months. for like three months or six months or something like that I think he went two years Ugh. one time without bathing didn't change his underwear for six months and the fact that women would buy his underwear yeah they purchased. wanted that sweat soaked underwear yeah. exactly. it was like yeah. that's what they sought out for like he would wear it for a month and they would be like alright sweat in it and then let me buy it wet <laughs> They're actually selling underwear back then. He was a man ahead of his time. <laughs> right? <laughs> he was a man of people. He was definitely. Thank you for supporting. <laughs> Gross. I mean, at one point, Nicholas does actually, with the evidence, you need to leave. I need to send you away. But apparently, pictures, yeah. yeah, but apparently yeah. the Tsarina is like, no, nah, we no. need him back. Yeah, because Alexi gets, there's another episode. But yeah. do, you, no, do no. you really blame him, though? I mean, I wouldn't blame him. I mean, he's Send seemingly helping my son. So. Right. Yeah, so and it's all about the right son. Back. Some of his enemies got him so fucking drunk. And the thing is, that they would do this like over and over again. And it's easy to get him drunk and to fool him because he, like, that's what he wants to do is party. He's like a fucking rock star. You know? So it's they bring him to a party. They get him fucking smashed drunk. This woman seduces him, which I don't think it takes very much to seduce him. They said he would paw every woman that got within like arm's length of him that he liked. They strip him and he's so fucking drunk that he like passes out and they bring in like six other women and there's six like half naked ballerina girls that they take pictures of him with like actual fucking pictures with those old Eastman Kodak brownie cameras when <laughs> you first have those things and a regular person kind of use it and it wasn't on that big huge fucking stand anymore and they take all these pictures and try to blackmail on them and they're like leave Petersburg motherfucker we're gonna show the Tsarina this shit he took that shit to the Tsar and he was like I am so sorry. And he like shows him the pictures. I don't know what he explained to get himself out of it. Maybe that like he, he was drunk and passed out and then he just did this to him. I don't know. I don't know. But he was like, all right, this is going to be really embarrassing for me if you don't just leave now. And he sent him on a holy journey, but he didn't like 
dismiss him out of his life. He was just like, you got to take a holy journey. Just get the fuck out of him. He did it himself, <laughs> actually. He just sent himself on holy journeys all the time. But he was followed. You, I think you had mentioned when we were talking earlier about how like the, the Russian... not the, the secret s- police. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they followed him everywhere he went. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you were friends with the Tsar and the Tsarina, they had him followed. So there's all of these primary source documents of the secret police following him around and documenting his debaucherous activities. They had seven different classifications for how fucking drunk that he was. Ted, you had a couple of them, right? <laughs> Very drunk, dead drunk, and overcome with drink. They were the three highest Three levels. highest ones, yeah. But he would be so fucking drunk, and then he would take like a cat nap. He was famous for like just, you know, you know maybe like fucking sleeping for three hours, get back up and fucking drink again because women would be at, you know, he had to get up at dawn. It's a power nap. <laughs> he took a power nap and started fucking drinking again because then Madeira would appear in his lobby from like 400 women that were like looking for like nail clippings, any fucking bullshit from him. I mean, as a matter of fact, speaking of bullshit from him, like aside from like nail clippings that they would collect and, you know, revere, they sent, Zarina sent his fucking breadcrumbs, like the crust from the bread of Rasputin to the front for Nicholas to fucking eat no. for inspiration. <laughs> I'm sure he didn't do yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sure. He's like, well, what she doesn't know won't hurt her. It was like body <laughs> and blood of Christ. You're going like, to church. Nope. You're getting the Eucharist, right? You're getting the you're not getting doing the that. Maybe you should. Oh, well, I don't Brass, think, oh no, they, they yeah, Brass, they didn't go over well. We'll no. get into that, but no. We will get into more of the socioeconomic, political perspective of the big picture in the second episode. But Rasputin wanted to go to the front lines to give inspiration to the mm-hmm. soldiers, and as fucking inept as the czar was, because he was a he was, he was. just fucking inept he at least had the perspective to be like no motherfucker you (laughs) cannot come to the front you may not meet the soldiers that's too much i already let too much happen and that's way too fucking much not that rasputin was this great like military leader either he recommended different things that did not go in russia he's the one who recommended that this mediocre motherfucker take take over yeah Yeah, so to be clear he was also not a great military leader who had any idea what he was doing he he was a spiritual guy he was against the war though he was anti-war he was a pacifist yeah but we'll get into like joe was saying in the next episode some of the different political events going on at the time that he enters the complexities of the causes of world war one the russian revolution the aftermath like the whole backdrop because he 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 plays a role but so it's important to understand kind of the context of what society he's entering into and rasputin's penis in full (laughs) and what has become of it now these are all things to look forward to from grim they're all just an aside to his penis Yeah, yeah, World War One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Penis. And again, the rest penis. The most famous Willy <laughs> in the world. <laughs> or is it? Yeah, there's some debate about yeah, that, but we'll say. get into the debate yeah. about that too, because it's where a lot of the myths come from too. So the second episode, we'll be jumping more into demythifying him or whatever. That's not a word. Scratch that. Don't include that. <laughs> oh, include it. Don't. Don't include that. All right, Joe, taking on what you said last week, knowing what you know about Rasputin now, would you go back in time and be Rasputin? Would you spend like a year being him, knowing what your knowing what your fate would be? Would you take the ass beating that you got and the shooting and stabbing just to live like one year for Rasputin? Rasputin has like... 400 little ladies. He gets his balls bathed. Oh, like, I mean, come on Ted, now. would you like to be Rasputin yeah. for a year? Not, not if I was going to die at the end, though. 
But if that was going to yeah. go on in perpetuity, yeah, definitely, I probably would. Yeah. Well, it's not going to go on for perpetuity. Would, yeah. you, would you do it in the? In if, the you, if you had to go back and be one of these, the whole bathing figures. deal, no, because mm-hmm. I, um, if anything, let's I like bathing. Yeah, right? yeah. Good let's job, examine Ted. it though. Yeah. If we had to go back in time and be like one of these tragic figures, would you pick Rasputin, Robespierre, or Oliver Cromwell? Hmm. Mm. Oh, Rasputin. From a guy's perspective? <laughs> There's no Christmas with Oliver Cromwell. No. Otherwise, you would pick Oliver Cromwell. You wouldn't be able to masturbate or have sex or have Christmas. Christmas would be canceled every day, actually. Yeah. It would be canceled, right? Because you have to pick him because I don't actually like Christmas that much. Oh. <laughs> but how about masturbation? <laughs> <laughs> Joe said that. That's Joe it. said that. That's the question. Joe That's, said that. Christmas is only once Brittany, a year. Brittany's my witness. <laughs> Joshua. I know. Oh, That's a bad death. Hold on, she, she never that answered the question. <laughs> she doesn't have to answer the question, know, Ted. So Maximilian Robespierre is probably like the most significant. Rasputin's got to be the most fun. Yeah, definitely. Because like, you know, fucking Robespierre was just like an angry guy that shot himself in the face and it got his head <laughs> and cut then off. And got his head cut off. <laughs> <laughs> Rasputin. Having sex Rasputin. having sex and drinking all the time is like an 80s rock star. So, yeah, definitely Rasputin. You know what? Because, like, the end for him, he was shit-faced fucking drunk anyway, right? Yeah, he's basically. Absolute, he drank 12 We're going to talk about his death. <laughs> he drank 12 fucking bottles of Madeira <laughs> before he even got there and drank more. Yeah. So, he might not have felt a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kept getting up. I'm going Rasputin. <laughs> and that's our time. We are Joe Woji, Brittany Smith, Ted Sisko, Casey Coxon, and Morgan Haller. Today for Grim, your dark history's true crime podcast for mature motherfuckers of educational proclivities. We shall be back next week. Tune in for the mystical, magical member of Rasputin, his willy in a jar, what has become of it, and more on the Mad Monk. Stay tuned. Keep it beautiful, my friends, and keep it Grim. Yeah! Yeah. Fucking Graham! It's just Joe cheering for himself. Like, what? He's like, what's going on in there? Give. (laughs) The gift of Grim, motherfucker, in the Yuletide season of family and giving this holiday season. With the ones you love, sugar plum motherfuckers and chestnuts, have Santa Claus bring to every one of those beautiful motherfuckers who you love the gift of a grim Patreon. Do you know what the Christmas season gift of a grim podcast Patreon gives to a loved one? Your generous donation of a buck or two, 25 cents, a nickel helps keep the lights on up this motherfucker. It's the giving season. 12 or 25 cents not only will fill a motherfucker's heart full of joy and help us to bring more of this free content to you that we work so hard to bring, but we'll open all of our grim archived back episodes, a bunch of interviews from the United Kingdom that I've done. We're fun and a hell of a time finding the time to edit because we've got to have these actual jobs that we do to keep the lights on. And your pennies and dimes can help find an editor for us for that and some very sporadic meet and greet, grab beers with us sort of thing with all of us from the show together with us, with you. Sometimes themed for Christmas, magic, voodoo, love, classic events from the past and specialty Patreon first or Patreon exclusive themed events 
our first, we've never done it before sort of thing. We're going to dress a motherfucker up like Dolly and James Madison, the father of the Constitution, fourth president who fucking hated Ben Franklin, drinks with the Madisons for Christmas. If we can get it together, traditional Christmas wassail, a bunch of us from the show, Christmas founders, dress motherfuckers up like Dolly and James, make it a success and there will be more. We're looking at the month of January. Gift your support of the show to someone you love for Christmas and come and see us right after. We do put an incredible amount of time and resources into the show. Brittany and myself and Ted, cast of a dozen recurring professionals, master's degrees and PhDs, mostly none of whom gets paid a penny. Your generous donation of <laughs> any the fuck thing at all helps immensely. All bullshit aside does help. Like you can't imagine anything, a buck or three cents gift your support of the show to someone you love for Christmas. Any kind generosity of friendship towards the show, toward us, we cannot thank you enough for. Just visit patreon.com, Grim Philly. Patreon.com backslash Grim Philly for your kind, kind support and to be a friend patreon.com backslash grim philly